Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Lucinda Rouse. And I'm Emily Burt, editor of Third Sector. Each week we bring you half an hour of discussion and debate about the important goings-on in the charity world. And this week we'll be taking you to one of the UK's leading children's charities to shadow a day in the life of one of their policy advisors, learning how they operate and hearing their tips on how to get into the policy profession. But first, we are joined by our news reporter, Rory, to talk about collaborating. Hi, Rory. Hi there. So I did a big, long read about charity collaboration last week. It was kind of leading on from the MPC annual conference in London, following on from the speech from Mike Adamson, who is the chief executive of the British Red Cross, who focused heavily on collaboration when he was talking. So I wanted to get a better look into the world of collaborations, into charity, that is and see what are some top tips from some of the leading minds. How do they recommend you should go about ensuring you have a successful collaboration? I'd say there were three key areas that they told us to focus on. The first being just good communication. Good communication between charities so that you have a clear vision going forward about what you actually want to do and make sure you're not duplicating efforts across different charities. And that kind of leads into trust building as well, having that good communication, but also being given the time to establish yourselves as a team that works together so you have that trust which was i think probably the thing that most people focused on when i asked them specifically carl freeman who's the senior collaborations manager at guide dogs he said that good communication is absolutely key he likened it to a football team Mm -hmm. he said if a manager puts together a new team for the first time they may play pretty well to begin with but over time because they've been given that time they learn to anticipate each other's play and become more fluid score more goals win more matches So the second one, I've kind of already mentioned it. It's about that clear vision. It's about going into a collaboration, knowing what you want to get out of it. So when you go in, this is something that Campbell Chalmers actually told us on the podcast earlier this year, but you've got to ask yourselves, is there a specific reason? Are you going in for a campaign or a project? What's the purpose of the collaboration? What is the outcome that you're trying to achieve? So if you don't have answers to those questions, really sit yourself down and check before you try and reach out to charities, even if you think it could be fruitful. And then the last one, it's going back to Adamson, who gave me a really interesting quote, which was, we want to move from an ego system to an ecosystem. And what that is about is about embracing humility, understanding you're no longer maybe the top dog in your collaboration. You've got to embrace humility and work as a team so that you're not trying to ensure a goal or a win for your organization if it comes at the detriment of the organization that you're working with. Mm. Absolutely. And I thought as well, you know, you also spoke to James Watson O'Neill, who is, of course, Mm. the chief executive of Sign Health for this piece. And James also spoke very eloquently about that willingness to give up power. And I think what Adamson said about sort of embracing that collective humility is so important. And Sign Health, of course, is part of the British Deaf Association. They've just launched a new campaign called Deaf Together, but they've also saw great previous success last year with their BSL Act Now campaign, which actually brought British sign language into being legally recognised for the first time, Mm. which was a really effective campaign. And we covered it last year. And at the time, we also heard from the head of the RNID who talked about coalition working and that need to put your cause before your brand. Mm. And I think if you can do that effectively, the sky really is the limit for what charities can achieve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Watson O'Neill said specifically, sign health isn't important, deaf people are which I think is really exemplifies what you were talking about there. And did you get any indication from the people you were talking to about 
pressure or need to be collaborating more, obviously, when resources are a bit thin on the ground. I guess funders are probably pushing charities to work together. Well, that was absolutely something that Adamson focused on in his initial speech. He was talking about how charities need to pull together and act. He said specifically, no single organization can achieve its mission and goals on its own. Once you embrace that and start to engage with it, it has significant consequences. It doesn't matter how big your organization is, there's no one organization that can combat their aim, no matter how small it is, alone. They need help, they need support. And in a time like this, when you're speaking about the difficulties of going on in the world, it's very difficult for one organization to do anything. Mm. They need to work in collaboration. But yes, making sure they do it properly and don't all waste each other's time by not having those clear goals is obviously vital. Now, moving on to our main feature for this week, we're going to give you a behind-the-scenes look at the working life of a policy advisor at Barnardo's. I have to say, I am so interested in hearing this because I find policy fascinating. But, I mean, why did you want to profile this person? I also find policy work really, really interesting and the nuts and bolts of the how charities can influence policy decisions and present information to members of the government in the most effective way. It's obviously a really, really important component of the voluntary sector, but perhaps more hidden than frontline service provision might be. And it certainly seems to have become a more controversial area in the past few years in terms of charities speaking out against the government's policy direction and the way that they have done that, thinking specifically most recently about the RSPB, Mm. calling specific government ministers liars, but also the reception that they have been receiving from the government. It's a difficult area. So yes, I wanted to find out how charities interact with MPs and other members of the government, and also how policy teams fit into the broader workings of big charities such as Bernardo's, which is where I went. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to our guest who showed me around Bernardo's central London office and will introduce herself. My name is Becky Rice and I'm a senior policy advisor in mental health and wellbeing at Bernardo's. This is one of Bernardo's offices. Um, We've obviously got services, offices, hubs all over the country, but this space is the most central. Right. Uh, So this is where I would come most often. How much do you work in the office? We're really flexible. So you can work kind of in a local hub if you'd rather. We really encourage working from home um, and we come into the office and I will come in largely to do bits that are quite collaborative with the rest of the team. I'm part of a wider policy and public affairs team. And we lead policy development and our influencing agenda at Bernardo's. Um, so my role in mental health and wellbeing is to work with the children, young people and practitioners and the people who commission our services to develop policy lines across mental health and wellbeing. So as an example of that, um, I've done some work on mental health support teams and our recent work on social prescribing. So we'll do kind of long form reports and develop policy recommendations and then do influencing. And we'll also be quite responsive to what's going on in government. So that might be responding to consultations, might be reacting to something in the media. Um, And it's essentially developing our policy on the subject and influencing as widely as we can. It's really important that we can get the voices of children and young people involved in policy. We have a really unique picture and a really unique opportunity to speak to children and young people about their experiences and and how that affects their lives. And that plays into Bernardo's wider vision of improving 
uh, the lives of children and young people, improving outcomes, working with hope. Um, so we, yeah, we feed into the organisation in that respect that we feed into Bernardo's strategy and it's also really important to us that we can give children and young people and their voices a platform at decision-making tables. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds so important. And how did you get into policy work in the first place? A slightly convoluted journey. I worked for the NHS after I did my undergraduate degree and I really, really enjoyed working with patients. I did a lot of adult care, but I found that kind of working in quite a biomedical model, working in a hospital setting, I often felt like we were getting to people too late. And I was really interested in that kind of wider holistic view of what health was. Um, people's environments, people's education, how they grow up, uh, inequality that they face, which prompted me to do my master's degree in public health. Um, and the more I did my master's and the more time I spent studying that kind of early preventative, early intervention, life course approach, that brought me towards policy and wanting to do something that was less uh, individual and, and more looking at what we can do at a population level. And then that life course approach, as I say, kind of brought me towards children and young people's policy making in particular and thinking about where we can make the most difference most effectively. Mm. And is um, your current role at Bernardo's the first time that you've worked in the charity sector post NHS? Uh, so I worked for a pancreatic cancer charity and then I moved into an organisation that works with all party parliamentary groups. So cross party groups of MPs and members of the law who are interested in a particular subject. Um, and then I think the Bernardo's job came up and I thought the opportunity to work with children and young people in particular and to, to bring their voices to the table and to use their experiences to make positive change was something that I didn't want to pass up. So that, that brought me here. Brilliant. And could you tell me a day in your average working life or maybe a week if that's easier? Uh, probably a week is easier. It's, it's quite varied and it depends what's happening politically at the time and it depends on what we're responding to. But we'll work with the organisation's priorities. So I could be doing a long form piece of research. So it, it might be quite desk based in that incident, uh, doing literature reviews, doing policy development, or it might mean that we're responding to something. So it might be that I'm working together with colleagues across the charity to respond to something that the government has announced or, or to a piece of work or a consultation. Or it might be getting to go to services and speak to children and young people and practitioners and parents and to hear their voices so that we can bring them more effectively into our policy making. Or it might be that direct influencing work. So it might be going to an event in Parliament. It might be meeting with an MP or a member of the Lords and speaking to them and really kind of championing our work and trying to make sure that they understand the work that we're doing and our recommendations and want to champion them too. God, it sounds so varied and so many different skills must be required from like, you know, really strong research skills when you're working on briefs or whatever and written communication skills to then, I don't know, public speaking presumably as well or certainly the ability to convince people in high places. Yes, yeah, I think it's about being a good communicator and it's about thinking about your audience. When you're doing a piece of research, you're essentially translating that for an audience when you're speaking to an MP or the member of the Lords or to children and young people using our services. It's about different types of communication and I think that's a really important skill is to be able to think about who your audience is and how to still get that message across in the same way and to make sure it's effective. And how much of your um, role is talking to 
both your colleagues who are delivering frontline services and then also you, you mentioned speaking to people who are actually accessing Bernardo services. Yeah, so it makes up a really big part of what we do. We want to make sure that everything in our policy work is informed by both practitioners and by children and young people, especially children and young people. So we will work with the wider organisation to make sure that we're doing kind of regular touch points, whether they're surveys, whether they're focus groups, um, to make sure that we're hearing their voices across a range of topics on a regular basis. And then if I'm doing a longer form piece of work, like a research report, I'll make sure that we go to services and that we speak directly to children and young people to inform that and that we then go back to them. I think it's really important that we can say to them, this is how you influenced our work and then how you influenced what we did with that going forward and how we influenced the government. So it's it's going out and hearing their voices, but also coming back to them on a regular basis so they understand how that's been used. And you've been working on one big report in the last few months, I understand. Yes. Could you tell me a bit about that? Yes, yes. So Bernardo's provides the largest voluntary-led social prescribing service in England. And social prescribing works with children and young people to connect them to non-clinical community services that support their health and well-being. So that might be walks in nature, that might be local cinema groups, and it, and it may be that a link worker is also helping them navigate the mental health system particularly around supporting them back into school supporting them into their community supporting them into local nature spaces um, and our social prescribing service in Cumbria is really successful it helps children and young people to get early support it helps them to navigate the system if they need that more intensive support and it also helps them on the way back down as they kind of de-escalate from receiving more acute or specialist care. So I went to Cumbria to meet children and young people who'd used the service, to meet parents, teachers, GPs and the practitioners who deliver the service and we produced a report called The Missing Link, Social Prescribing for Children and Young People, which details how successful the service is, but also the challenges that we face in making sure that children and young people across the country have access. At the moment, the mental health landscape for children and young people is very fragmented. So the report recommends that the government create a national strategy for social prescribing that takes into account the differences between the needs of children and young people and the needs of adults. And what was your role specifically in the process of um, producing that report? So from the initial idea, I worked together um, with the rest of the policy and public affairs team and with the wider organisation to make sure that we are in line with our strategy and to make sure that social prescribing services and, and all of the people involved in those services know that we want to do this piece of work and that I'm coming, basically. Right. Um, but then I will speak directly to the children and young people. I'll sp speak directly to parents, to teachers, to everyone who needs to be involved in the report and then did the drafting, shared that back with the service, shared it back with everyone involved with it and then we make edits and get to publication and then post-publication I'll work with wider Bernardo's team again to make sure that we push the report out in the direction it needs to go so whether that's through kind of national media work through sector press through influencing parliamentarians speaking to uh, organizations who are involved in delivering social prescribing themselves or the wider sector to try and gain wider sector support and take that to government departments um, NHS England etc. Hello. Hi, Kath. It's Becky. How are you? Hi, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. It's nice to hear you. 
You too. Um, I just wanted to give you a little bit of an update on the social prescribing report, if that's all right, if you've got some time. Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, so I just wanted to let you know, I know that you spoke um, with The Guardian recently. We think that article should be published. Well, it, it's been filed, so we're hoping that it will be published in the coming days. Brilliant, brilliant. We've circulated the report quite widely, so we've sent it to um, parliamentarians, we've sent it to MPs, House of Lords, um, and also to government departments and NHS England, and we've had some really nice early feedback, which has been quite encouraging. Oh, good. We are thinking about what work we can do in Parliament now the party conference season is over. Um, yeah. We might be looking at whether we can do possibly a drop-in event so that we can rent a room and get some parliamentarians to come and hear about the report and hear about people's experiences. And while I'm, you know, I'm not entirely sure when that will be yet, I was interested to know if, if you would potentially be interested in attending that. Oh, wow, definitely. Does that include Beth as well? Yeah, absolutely. would really, really love to hear both of your voices on this if we can get something booked in. Um, Oh, definitely. Yeah? Oh, that's perfect. It would be absolutely amazing to have you both. You're such champions for the service. So if that's oh, something you. Oh, That would be brilliant because I think it's so important for them to sit down and listen. Yeah, I think just having the voices of people who've used the service would be really invaluable in that. Definitely. Obviously, my youngest, Beth, has used the service, um, which was amazing and it was an absolute lifesaver for Beth and for us as a family, hugely. And I wish it was something that had been around when my older two were that age as well, as they really struggled with their mental health uh, too. I think the thing that we really need is money to go to the places that need it, uh, that need to be resourced uh, to support our children and young people and, and specifically social prescribing. I will let you know how we get on in terms of when an event might be and what that might look like. Yes, <laughs> Bye. For you personally, seeing through that project from inception to completion and then trying to get people to act on the findings, mm. what's the favourite part of it for you? It's speaking to children and young people. Mm. You know, I, I think we are here to bring their voices to the conversation. We are here to think who are the underserved groups that don't get to take part in policy decisions who aren't always at the table and, and again and again it's children and young people so they're the experts in their life experience they're the experts in why this service has worked for them and can you walk me through how it works when you go to Westminster and you try and engage MPs and committees and so on what what does that process look like so you know we'll think about being as cross-party as possible. So we'll think about what are the different ways to speak to parliamentarians? Is it through select committees, for example, the Health and Social Care Select Committee or the Education Select Committee? Is it through um, writing directly to the minister and asking for a meeting with the minister? And in addition, we'll think about you know, who are the parliamentarians for whom this is a local service or for whom are passionate about children and young people and improving outcomes in their mental health who could be champions of this. So it's quite a varied approach. We might think about, can we submit evidence? We might think about, can we speak at an event that we're hosting or someone else is hosting? Can we host something where we can get parliamentarians to come and speak to children and young people and hear their stories firsthand? And we might think about, can we bring children and young people to meetings with parliamentarians or to with the minister to really get their point across and mm. to really say, you know, this is why this is important to me. This is why this report has value to us. And so going back to your typical week at work, what would make 
that week particularly good or particularly exciting for you? I think it's either getting to go and do a visit because I think that really grounds you and really reminds you why you're here and, and what you're doing and it it gives you that inspiration to come away from the meeting and think this is why what I'm doing is important this is what I'm going to do next or it's if there's a policy announcement or an opportunity to to go in and speak to people like the minister or go into parliament and, and bring children young people to parliament I think those events in parliament are definitely there would be my best days at Bernardo's bringing children and young people to parliamentarians and, and hearing them speak you know they can do it better than we can yeah absolutely um I mean it's so clear how passionate you are about um Bernardo's cause and about improving situation for children and young people um so does that make it difficult perhaps to sort of transfer to another policy role in a different organization maybe even outside of the charity sector um or do you still see in your mind that you are a policy person and if it so happens that you don't spend the entirety of your career at Bernardo's or working with children and young people that you know it would be possible to to shift that sort of passion to elsewhere I think for me it's really important to be passionate I think my journey to Bernardo's came through being really passionate about delivering healthcare, and it moved to thinking about how can we do this in a way that's preventative how can we do this in a way that's early intervention how can we be really holistic and that led me to children and young people's policy and I think I think it is transferable in a way but I think it needs to be that you're in an organization that's led by the views of the people who you are trying to influence for ultimately you know I want to feel like an advocate for that so I think you know wherever I was it would need to be led by the population who we were working for and then you've got that inspiration and you've got that passion. Yeah, absolutely. And are um, people within government generally quite receptive to your influencing efforts or are you ever faced with a hostile response? Well, I don't think we're ever faced with a hostile response. I think, you know, sometimes the landscape shifts, you know, whether that's the news, whether that's something that's happening in terms of a prime minister changing or, or something that can mean that, you can find it a little bit more difficult to get cut through. But I think we just have to work around that and we have to bear in mind that these shifts will happen and that things will come up that you need to be responsive to. And if somebody is listening to this and thinks that they'd really like a job like yours, Mm. what would your advice be to them on how to get there? Perhaps a recent graduate who's really interested in policy work, how can they get in? I think... um, I think there are loads of routes in. I wouldn't say you need a specific background. I wouldn't say you need to study X at university or or do X as a master's. I think you don't necessarily have to have gone to university. You need to have a passion for the subject. So if you're looking to work in the policy space, you need to think about what subject are you most interested in and pursue that from there. And, And I think understanding kind of what the voluntary sector's aims are in terms of making sure that we are cross-government, making sure that we're representative of the people with lived experience is really important. I think if you're passionate and you're interested and you're keen to learn, you can come at it with any background, really. So there isn't a specific course that, if seen on an applicant's CV, might make people interested? I think what I see on an applicant's CV, I, I think I get interested if their background is quite varied. You know, if if they've 
taking the time to volunteer somewhere if they've got a range of hobbies if they describe their passions in their personal statement I think that would appeal to me more to be honest than a specific course Mm. I, I want to be able to speak to someone and understand that they're really keen to learn that they're a good communicator that they want to be able to advocate for this population group so yeah unfortunately there's no kind of easy this is a six-week course but also you know I think that it's really important that we have real diversity of voices. Brilliant well Becky it's been so interesting to to hear about your work and to hear about your evident passion for your job thank you so much. Thank you very much it's been really nice to speak to you. You know, I think what really struck me listening to that actually goes right back to the beginning of this episode. And it all comes down to what Rory was talking about communication and how so much of this role is actually just rooted in connecting all these different parts of the organization, whether it's, you know, service users, service delivery, people who are going to be out there talking to government, comms, making sure that everything is aligned and consistent is an enormous part of the job as well as coming up with all the really complicated strategic decisions about the direction that the organization is going to take absolutely fascinating yeah as you say communication at all levels but it is a pretty multifaceted role and you need different skills to be communicating to different people in different ways and gathering the information that you need in order to put forward your case for or not your case in this instance, but the case of children and young people, which is right at the core of what Becky does and her motivation for everything, this sort of agency of the people that she is working with, enabling their voices to be part of the policy decision, policy-making process. And yeah, the phrase that struck me was being led by the population we're working for just so important absolutely lived experience on so many levels of what it is that she does and that's fantastic and great to be able to hear the phone call really just hearing it in action and talking to people who actually use the services and saying your views your input on this really matters yeah and also hearing the enthusiasm on the part of the service user, or in that case, it was the mother of a service user really keen to come down from Cumbria, where mm-hmm. she's based, and join in the discussions at Westminster as this report is put out into the public space. One thing that struck me was that I had this vision of policy wonks, you know, <laughs> running around various parts of Westminster making sure that they are chatting to the right people in the pubs doesn't sound like it's like that at all unless um, Becky was just not giving away but I don't think she was but all of the sort of meetings and interactions that she seems to have seem to be quite formal scheduled in office hours. Yeah I mean I always envision running around in pubs being the sort of thing that someone like Dominic Cummings would do but (laughs) I imagine that charity is probably quite a bit more sensible than him and structured in the ways that they make approaches which I think is personally no bad thing at all. We hope you enjoyed that discussion with Becky from Bernardo's and if you're interested you can listen back to our two previous Day in the Life episodes. Earlier in the year, we spoke to a grant maker from Comic Relief, and we also visited London Zoo for a day in the life of one of their procurement experts. And if you can think of a role in the sector that you'd like to see profiled for our next Day in the Life, please do let us know via the survey. The link to that is in the show notes. Next week, we will be joined by Maudsley Charity to talk about how they focus their energies in the face of insurmountable need. 
for today. Thanks for so much to Becky Rice and Jude Clay at Bernardo's and, of course, to our producer, Nav. And as we leave you, you might have heard an episode a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the different conversations that we're having in the charity sector about small organisations who are making a difference. And to take you into next week, I would like to leave you with a tiny teaser trailer for a new project we've been working on. It's called The Diff. And if you want to have a little listen, we would love to hear your thoughts. Hello and welcome to The Diff, a new podcast from the makers of Third Sector, the leading title for the charity world. I'm your host, Rihanna Dillon, and as the classic Third Sector strapline goes, this is a place where we champion the people who make a difference. This is a complex social issue and we've got to tackle it as such. This month, our theme is the prevention of knife crime. So over the next few days, we'll be meeting just some of the people and the organisations that work in this field. And when you hear stuff like that, it really does keep you going. It was really heartwarming. It was really, really heartwarming to see. I didn't want to make that phone call. I was so scared. More scared than calling and telling my family I'd been back in, I was back in prison. Because I realised how much belief they'd put in me. And it was in them still saying, it's fine, doesn't matter. I'm still here for you. It was like, oh my God, you are going to show me what human nature is actually supposed to be. So with our training, what we're doing is empowering young people to be part of the solution to the problem of violence affecting young people. Don't miss it.